you turn to the book of Mark chapter 1, we have our last message this morning from Mark chapter 1. It's also the first week of Advent on the Christian calendar going towards Christmas, and it's a week that revolves around the idea of hope. The readings that you heard this morning were all about hope. Hope in the Old Testament of a Redeemer to come, hope in the New Testament of our Redeemer to come again. And so hope is what we want to really key in on. And again, when I put together expository messages through the Scripture, I never stand to be amazed at the way God puts the right message on the right week. Because I didn't orchestrate this, I'd like to say I planned it, but I didn't. But our message this morning is all about hope. Right from Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1, let's begin reading in verse 40. It says, And a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hands and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest, and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it, and to spread the news, so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places, and people were coming to him from every quarter. Let's pray as we get into this passage this morning. Father, we thank you again for this look into the life and ministry of our Savior. Lord, we thank you for this message of hope. It was a message of hope for a desperate man, but also a message of hope for us desperate people who need a touch from the Savior. God, I pray that you'll take your word and apply it to our hearts and lives, press it deeply into our lives that we may not only hear it, not only understand it, but God, may we live it in the coming days to be more like Christ. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. Hope is an interesting word. What does it mean to hope? And the idea of hope that we're going to see here in Mark chapter 1 isn't the idea that, you know, we went up to Buffalo about a week ago, and my wife was like, I hope it snows, because she wanted it to snow. And we have hopes like that, you know. Every Sunday I go and I turn on the TV and I hope the Bills are going to win, but I kind of know better most of the time. And that's a type of hope, but the hope in Mark chapter 1 is a much different hope. I looked up that word hope in the dictionary because I thought people use it in so many different ways. And they do because there's so many definitions of hope. But for our definition of hope, let me read a few things that I found. Number one, hope is a desire accompanied by expectation or belief in fulfillment. When we hope in Jesus Christ, it's not an aspiration that maybe this will happen or maybe it won't. I expect that Jesus Christ will fulfill his promises, therefore I hope in what is going to happen. Hope in the idea of someone or something in which our hopes are centered. The idea in sports, our only hope for victory is, and you fill in the blank on your favorite sports character that's on your team, but when we get to the scriptures, our only hope for victory is in Jesus Christ. And we're going to see that in Mark chapter 1. We're going to see a leper who comes to Christ because he realizes that his only hope is found in Christ. Not Christ plus something else, not his goodness and Christ, but he comes to Christ and says, if you will, you can do this. Not, I deserve this, do this for me, but if you will, 
if you're desiring for these things. So that's the kind of hope that we're going to see here. Now, as we consider the story of the leper and see this wonderful story of hope, we need to ask ourselves a question. Why does Mark include this miracle, this story of hope, in his gospel? Mark's gospel is pretty short. You're not going to believe it as I'm preaching through it, but it's pretty short. You know, and, and as we get to Mark chapter 1, he has talked in Mark, if, if you flip back just a few pages or a few verses in the book of Mark, it talks about the fact, like in verse 34, he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many devils, and he would not permit the demons to speak because of them. The, the scriptures tell us there that the whole town came to the house of Peter and Andrew, asking Jesus to do that. And Jesus healed every one of them. And every one of them had a story. But we don't have any of their stories. So why the story of the leper in Mark chapter 1, verses 40 through 45? What is God doing with this? What is Mark doing with this as he shares it with us? Well, number one, we need to remember the purpose of Jesus' miracles. Jesus didn't do miracles just to fascinate those around him. Jesus didn't do miracles just to draw a gathering around him. In fact, he does exactly the opposite. You ever ask yourself, this is the second time in Mark chapter 1 where Jesus heals people and then tells them what? Don't tell anybody what I did. Does that make sense to you? If I was doing miracles in the church here, I'll bet we could fill the church up. I'll bet we could have standing room only. But Jesus is looking and he's told us in Mark chapter 1 why that is. I came to preach the gospel of repentance. And the miracles that Jesus does is to validate, number one, who he is. Mark started it with that bold statement. He is the son of God. And the miracles are to validate the fact that Mark's statement is true. It's also to validate the fact that when Jesus Christ comes and says, let me share with you the gospel of the kingdom. And people look and say, he teaches with authority like none other. His miracles are there to validate that and say, this is God's message for you. So all of this is happening, and we look at this miracle then and say, you know, why, why this one in the book? Significantly, though the leaders in Jesus' time, the spiritual leaders did not care for his ministry, we never see them claiming he didn't do miracles, do we? They never say he didn't do miracles. But what they do is they try to take the obvious miracles. You can't look at somebody who was blind and now sees and say, Jesus Christ does not perform miracles. You can't look at somebody who's been lame since birth and then watch him walk by you and say, Jesus Christ cannot perform miracles. But what they did was say, Jesus Christ is doing this in the power of Satan. And part of the reason that he's doing these wonderful miracles and casting out demons is because he's telling you, I am in control of that kingdom. I'm throwing Satan and his power out. I have gained victory over Satan. And he even says in Matthew chapter 12, every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste. No city or house divided against itself will stand. And if Satan casts out Satan, he's divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? You say, that doesn't make any sense to say I'm doing this in the power of Satan. I'm doing it in the power of God because I am the very son of God. And so with all of this evidence, you would think the Pharisees would believe. But instead, they hardened their heart. And part of the reason I think Mark gives us this story of a leper, because he doesn't want us to harden our hearts. He wants us to see Jesus for who he is. A very busy teacher, the son of God, come to Seeking to save that which was lost, but also with the time to touch the lives of individual people on a regular basis. And so here's this story. Likely he healed many lepers. Why this leper? 
Well, there's two things that happen here that are going to help us to understand maybe a little bit of why this leper. Uh, Number one, this leper is going to come and he is going to illustrate for us the saving faith of Jesus Christ when he talks about the gospel of the kingdom. There are so many correlations. The metaphor is there and so many times about how this man and his plight and what Christ does for him is not much different than who we are in our plight and what Christ does for us. Did you hear Greg's prayer this morning? He prayed that God would be with us because we are broken and needy people. There was nobody no more broken or needy than the leper who came to Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ touched his life and changed it in an instant. And now he looks at us, broken and needy people. And if you haven't come to Christ for salvation, he wants to touch your life in the same way and change it in an instant. So that story is here to help us understand a little bit about what's happening and a little bit about what's going on here, illustrating the power of the gospel, the reality of the gospel. There's also another interesting picture there. We'll get to it as we go through this story, but it's very interesting as we begin reading through this, the fact that in the beginning of the story, in verse 40, who is the outcast? Here's a leper. We'll talk about what that means, but basically he was outcast from society. He couldn't hang around with everybody else. In verse 45, Jesus Christ trades places with him, and he becomes the outcast and goes out into the desolate places. In part because the man didn't listen to what Jesus asked him to do. But Jesus Christ exchanged places with this man and gave him a place in society just as he exchanges places with us when God lays our sin upon him and gives us a part in God's family. And so all of this is going to be seen as we go through this wonderful story, a story of hope for the desperate, for the helpless, and for the hopeless. So let's look, first of all, the dilemma of the leper. What was this leper's problem? Look at verse 40. And a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Now it's interesting, of all the people Mark chose this leper to give his story, hello, who is he? Never tells us who he is. All we know him as is this is a leper. No, no extra story to that. In fact, Luke 5, 12, another telling of this same story, says he was covered with leprosy. We'll talk about what that means in just a moment. But when this man showed up, he showed up with great needs. He showed up in a highly provocative manner. It says a leper came to him. And again, if you look at Luke in the story in Luke, it says Jesus Christ was in the city. The leper didn't belong in the city. In fact, he knew better than to be in the city. So this was a very offensive encounter to those who were surrounding Jesus Christ. Leprosy was widespread in Palestine during these days. It was a an incurable disease. And it was also a disease that was surrounded by superstition and fear. Because as you read through the Old Testament, you find that the belief was if you had leprosy, God had a severe judgment upon your life. Because you lost everything when you were a leper. And this was a very communicable disease. Okay, This was an airborne disease. You got it through the air. You got it through touch. And so you look at Leviticus chapter 13 and 14, and the Jews have all kinds of Israelites, all kinds of restrictions for somebody who's got leprosy because he wanted, they had to be separated from the camp. Otherwise, it would spread throughout the whole camp. And it's really, as we're going to look at the end of this, it's a picture of what sin does in our lives. But for the leper, here he comes to find Jesus in a time where he's totally out of line. And everybody's going to know he's totally out of line. Because this skin disease, they tell us, symptoms include a spongy, tumor-like swelling that appears on the face and the body. 
I mean, their faces just, they blew up. They started to decay in some areas. The body was also, internal organs were affected. Bones started to deteriorate. The victim's immune system was compromised. And as part of that, often they, they had to deal with tuberculosis, which they would catch in that day. So they were having trouble breathing. They're, they were disfigured. They looked terrible. And the scripture tells us that there were rules about what they had to do and how they had to go about, about life. In Leviticus 13, it says this, the leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose. And he shall cover his upper lip and cry out, unclean, unclean. He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. So the question is, what was he doing in the city that day? Anyone who saw him would have been immediately repulsed and get back. at 50 feet was what they called for in Leviticus. And you think about Jesus with people pressing on him all the time. And suddenly there's a leper. What do you think happened to the crowd? If I'm in the crowd, I'm backing up. If I'm in the crowd, I'm indignant because this man knows better. If I'm in the crowd, I'm more than indignant. I'm a little bit angry because this man has put me at risk. And so you look at, you see all these things as this leper comes and all this is happening around us. But in true Mark and fashion, he doesn't tell us anything about what's going on. Other than the leper shows up. But this is happening. People are stepping back. They notice this. This didn't happen quietly in a corner. And so this is taking place as this leper comes. And sees Jesus Christ. And you have to understand as this leper kneels before Christ, they were victims of far more than just the disease itself. We've talked often about the life of Israel and the Jewish people. And it was a very much a community of people. And the community revolved around worship and it revolved around the temple. And when you were struck, when you were, if you were stricken with leprosy, you were not only disfigured, but you couldn't go to the temple. In fact, you weren't allowed inside the limits of Jerusalem at all. You lost your opportunity to worship. You lost your religion. You were cut off from the people, your friends, your family, your occupation. You, you, you were outside the city. You were basically waiting to die. And so that's this leper as he comes in and as he sees Jesus Christ. And again, it was a picture Leprosy was a picture of, to God's people of what sin does when it contaminates the camp. And the lepers, picturing the sin and what it can do, were thrown outside the camp. They had lost everything. So here comes this man, offensive to all that are around him. People are standing at a distance, backing up, and he risks everything. I mean, there's no doubt that this leper could have been put to death. He was violating every one of the laws of Moses. By being in front of Jesus Christ. By endangering the people around him. And we see this, and we see in that verse, look again back to chapter 1 and verse 40. The leper came to him, imploring him, and he did what? He knelt. In fact, Luke tells us he fell on his face. He knelt that far down. Because as the leper looked at Jesus Christ, he believed this is the Son of God. Now, is the leper certain that he's going to be healed? We're going to look at this and find out. He has no idea for sure what's going to happen, but you know what he does know? He has hope because he believes if Jesus Christ wills it, it will it'll happen. What's the problem? He doesn't know if Jesus Christ wills it or not. Does Jesus Christ have the power to heal even today? Do you have friends who've died because they got sick and ill and didn't get well? 
Why does that happen? It's God's will. That's hard to take. It's harder to take when it's us. But this leper recognized it. He said, you know, if if God's going to do this, it's his will, but I'm certainly going to ask. I'm going to go to Jesus Christ, and I'm going to ask because I know if Jesus Christ will just take care of the situation. And it's interesting, he doesn't say that he will be healed. You don't find the word healed anywhere in chapter 1, verses 40 through 45. You find the word cleansed. Because leprosy was a picture of sin. And if you were healed from leprosy, your body was cleansed from that disease. And so four times in this, prayer, in this short passage, we're going to see the fact, the cleansing that needs to take place, the cleansing that he's hoping to take place, even as he kneels before Christ and asks him to do what only he can do. And then we get to verse 41. We have not only the dilemma of the leper, but the healing of the leper. Here comes this leper. He's before Christ. And it says, Jesus Christ moved with pity. And don't miss the significance of the next phrase that's there. Jesus Christ moved with pity, stretched out his hands and touched him. How many people had touched this leper since he had leprosy? Zero. He had had zero touches of compassion from anyone. Nobody in their right mind went up and tapped the shoulder of a leper and said, there, there, I feel bad for you, I'm praying for you. They kept at a distance of 50 feet. They tried not to have even that much contact with them. As the leper cried out, unclean, unclean, you can bet the people scattered. And yet, as he comes before Jesus Christ, not knowing what's going to happen, knowing Christ can, but will he, Jesus Christ reaches out and he touches him. Could Jesus Christ have healed the leper without ever touching him? When Jesus Christ reaches out and touches the leper, and again, Mark doesn't tell us, if you've got any Pharisees within sight distance of that, what is their first reaction? Jesus Christ in their eyes is now unclean, ceremonially unclean. Mark never tells us that never happens, not with the Savior. Because as Jesus Christ reaches out and he touches him, though he could have with a simple word, healed this man, I think it was in utmost compassion. He reaches out and he touches that man. He's going to forever change his life. He touches that man and it says here, he said to him, I will be clean. There's no fanfare. There's no huge sermon of any kind, though there could have been. But Jesus Christ just reaches out to this man, this man who's, again, isolated. There's nobody within 50 feet of the Savior. They've all backed up. Because they don't want this thing. And Jesus Christ reaches down and says, I will be clean. And look, and Mark, as only he can do, here's his favorite word in verse 42. It says, and what? And immediately the leprosy left him. If that's not astounding enough just to think somebody was healed immediately again, just at the touch and the word of Jesus Christ, not only was he healed, but he was healed of a disease that was incurable. There was no hope aside from Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ reaches out and touches him, and immediately the leprosy left him, and he was clean. The interesting thing about that is, look throughout the scriptures. Remember when Naaman had leprosy, and he was cleansed from his leprosy? Nobody touched him. The only one who ever touched someone and healed and changed their life like that in healing was Jesus Christ. And here we have Jesus Christ touching this leper and and healing him. And the the power that immediately he's transformed and he's changed. Think about what that means. What did his face look like when he came to see Jesus? 
Lepers often would veil their faces because they were hideous. As the word immediately was healed, that hideous features, those hideous features were gone. Internally, he felt terrible as his organs were, were being eaten alive, basically, and immediately he feels fine. He has strength in his legs. All of those things that had hindered him and were sending him to an early death were suddenly gone. His swords are gone. His limbs are made whole. His skin looks like new. His face is smooth and unscarred because the Savior touched him and says immediately he was healed. Immediately all of that took place. And on the other side, Jesus isn't polluted by the disease one bit because of the power of who he is. But then we see Jesus' admonition. Look in verses 43 and 44. This man has just been healed of an incurable disease. In a moment, in an instant, he didn't get told to go into the Jordan and dunk himself seven times. Immediately, Jesus Christ healed him. And then he says this. He charges him. And the idea there is not that he gave him a suggestion. It's not that he pulled him aside and said, hey, can you do me a favor? This is the Savior and Lord who just healed him and looked and says, this is what you need to do. Number one, he said, see that you say nothing to anyone. How many times did Jesus say that in the Gospels when he healed folks? How many times did it work? And again, you look at this and Jesus said, and again, why is he saying this? Say, say nothing to anyone. What is Jesus' mission in ministry? To preach the gospel, to seek, and to save those that are lost. He's not here just to do the spectacular. He's doing the miraculous and spectacular to prove who he is and to validate his message. But he's not trying to get a following of people who just want the spectacular done for them. See, all oh, people wouldn't do that, would they? They sure did. Remember the feeding of the 5,000? Have you read past that often? We get so enamored with the feeding of the 5,000, you forget the fact that the people all came back the next day because they wanted Jesus to feed them again. Hey, we kind of like this. This is kind of nice. We didn't pay for it. We didn't fix it. We didn't clean up after it. And that, that's a miracle, too. You ever think about the feeding of the 5,000? Twelve men cleaned up afterwards. Not a woman did any of the cleaning afterwards. That just doesn't happen very often. But you've got all this going on, and Jesus is like, I don't want to be sidetracked with all the healing. I'm here to give the most important message that people can ever have. The message is salvation. And so I have to stay focused on that. So he tells the man, say nothing to anyone. And then he says, but go and show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded. Why did Jesus send him all the way to Jerusalem? Okay, he's up in Galilee right now. So this man's got to walk possibly up to 100 miles to go to Jerusalem. And then what he has to do, if we read the book of Leviticus, just very quickly, they have to take two birds and kill one of them. And then the other bird they take along with cedar wood and a scarlet string and hyssop, and they dip it in the blood of the bird that was slain. And then the leper is sprinkled with this blood and pronounced clean by the priest, and the bird is set free in an open field. And then the, the, the leper is required to wash his clothes and shave off his hair and, and bathe himself in water. And, and remaining outside the tent, he has to stay there for seven days. Why? Why all this? Well, there's, one, is a picture of what Jesus Christ does for us in salvation. But number two, he stays outside seven days to make sure he's really clean. Jesus Christ healed this man. Is he clean? And would he have been any less clean if he didn't run down to Jerusalem and do all of these things? But Jesus tells him you need to do this. And again, I think about the fact that Jesus came and said, I've not come to destroy the law, but to fulfill it. 
And this was part of the law. And this was part of the law that wasn't going to be a problem to fulfill. And so this man is sent there, but not just to fulfill the law. Look at this, and don't miss this little phrase at the end. Do this for your cleansing, what Moses commanded, for a proof to them. A proof to who? You didn't need to prove it to the crowd that was there. Can you imagine being there as a crowd watching this leper and suddenly seeing everything gone and his face is looking great? He's up and running around. He feels good. Everything's good. You don't have to prove that to them. So who is Jesus proving the truth of who he is and what he can do to? To the religious leaders in Jerusalem. This is going to be a proof. You need to go do this because I don't want you running around town telling everybody what I did, but they need to know that God has sent his Messiah, and here's a proof for them. They're going to see the power of God in the life of one individual. They're going to see it over and over and over again in Christ's ministry. So much that, why do you think they were afraid to go after Jesus Christ even when they arrested him? They did it at night because they were afraid of the crowds. Why? People love somebody who can feed them and heal them and take care of them. And so here is Jesus taking care of this. He says, go to them because they need to be confronted with the undeniable reality of who I am and what I do. And how I do it. And then we get to verse 45. It says, But when he went out and began talking freely about it and to spread the news, so that Jesus could no longer openly enter into a town, but was out in desolate places, and the people were coming to him from every quarter. Here's the practicality of why Jesus said, Don't go tell anybody. Because if you've got any kind of ailment at all, and you know Jesus Christ can heal a leper, an incurable disease, immediately and send him on his way, what are you going to do? Any of you ever been sick and want to be well? If there's a Savior right across town that could take care of this, and I heard that when people went to Peter's house and Andrew's house, he took the time to heal every one of them. So if you've got an ailment, where are you going? You're going to the Savior. And Jesus Christ wants to go into the towns and do what? Preach the gospel of the kingdom and repentance. And they're flocking around him so much that they're making it almost impossible to the fact that it says here, so Jesus can no longer openly enter a town. That's why he told him that. Jesus Christ came to give out the gospel. And again, we talked about this last week, but we need to take the example of Jesus Christ. He tells us later in this book to take his example. When he says, I came to serve, not to be served, but to serve, and to give my life a ransom for many, when he said service, he wasn't just talking about healing people. He was talking about serving people by giving them the truth. He even sent the truth to the folks in Jerusalem that he knew were going to reject it in a very vivid fashion with the leper. It's a... Warning maybe to us, don't get sidetracked with other things and not give out the truth. It's Christmas time. There's a lot of nice, wonderful things you can do at Christmas time. You can help people. You can send people things. You can do all kinds of nice things in the community. There's food banks. There's people. There's toys for tots. There's all of these things. But as the church, what is our number one command to be fulfilled at Christmas time? It's the same command as the rest of the year. Go. Teach, make disciples, baptize, teaching them to observe all things. And you know what? That is the only thing that Jesus Christ left with his church is their number one goal and ambition before ascending into heaven. He said, do this. And often it's the last thing we get to because we're busy doing other wonderful things. And Jesus is looking and saying, don't go tell people because I don't want to be so busy doing other wonderful things that I don't do the one thing I came to do, give out the gospel. Will you give out the gospel this Christmas season? If you help 
45 needy families, if you give toys to all kinds of tots, if you send out all kinds of wonderful things to wonderful people who are in need and you never give out the gospel, you've missed the boat. You've missed what Christmas is all about. And as Americans, we're great at getting caught up in the trappings, aren't we? Some of you probably went in this miserable, yucky weather yesterday because there was a parade in Hendersonville. I'm not a parade fan, so you'll have to forgive me because I watch everything go by and I thought, so what? But, you know, people love to do that. They love to gather together. And so we don't miss the parade or, or the Christmas tree lighting or the concert that we're looking forward to. But we'll get to the end of the season and say, oh, I really not, didn't get a chance to talk to anybody about Christ. That's a shame. No, it's not a shame. It's disobedience. That's what we're here for. It's Christmas. What should be at the heart of Christmas? Family's great, food is great, but Christ is what Christmas ought to be all about. And even as he ministered, he said, it's about the gospel. It's about who I am. It's about the fact that I've come to seek and to save the lost and to give my life a ransom for many. And that's what we need to hold dear as we go through this. That's what this picture is all about. When you read the test for leprosy in Leviticus chapter 12, you can see how it is such a picture of sin. Leviticus, or Leviticus 13. Leviticus 13.3 says that leprosy is deeper than the surface of the, of the skin, and so is sin. It goes deep into our being if we're not careful. It controls us. It spreads. Does sin spread? Leprosy spread. It's contagious. Bad company corrupts good morals. You should have been here for Wednesday night if you missed that. That's from the Proverbs study. But we look at that, and it does spread, and it spreads in our lives. You know, how many of us look back when we're in sin and say, boy, this is exactly where I wanted to be? Usually it's little things step by step, and suddenly we look back and say, how did I get here? Because it spreads, and it'll take over our lives, and it defiles and isolates us from God's people. When we fall into sin, the last place we want to come is the church. You know, the church is full of sinners. Have you figured that out yet? We all ought to be more and more like Jesus Christ. And when we need it the most is when we're falling and we have trouble and we need to be upheld by Christian brothers and sisters. But we want to come in with, with this good faith, this, this righteous face on And How are you doing? I'm doing great. I don't have any problems in my life. You're lying. We all have problems we struggle with. And we ought to gather together so that we can support one another and help one another and be there. But sin will take, the, it will drive us out and isolate us just like that leprosy will do. And it renders things unfit for anything but the fire at the end of Leviticus 13. When sin has its way with you, it will wreck and ruin your life. And the other interesting picture about that is what's our only hope from sin? When that leper came that day, what was his only hope? If you will... You can save me. If you won't, I'm finished. As sinners, we come to Christ, and the fact is, if he will, he can save us. If he wouldn't, we'd be in trouble. And the wonderful thing is, Scripture tells us, whosoever will may, may come. None of us sinful lepers fall at the feet of Jesus Christ, and he says, no, I won't. He heals the sin leprosy problem in every one of us because of who he is and what he did and what he does and leaves us to the fact that now we are ready to fellowship with God and just like he changed place with that leper, just like he began to be the one who had to be out in the desolate wilderness places because word got out and the leper was suddenly able to mix and mingle in town all he wanted to with those people. Jesus Christ, when he hung on Calvary, Scripture tells us God 
made him to be sin for us who knew no sin. Isaiah tells us that all our iniquities were laid on him. He took our place. He suffered what we deserve to suffer. And in the place of it, he gave us his righteousness so that we could have a relationship restored with God and circulate in God's family for all of eternity. There's hope. I don't know what you're going through today. Some of you are going through some deep waters. But if Jesus Christ is there in your life, there's hope. Because we're looking, as as Greg read for us, for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who will do all of the things that Isaiah chapter 9 tells us he's going to do in our lives. He will set things right. He will rule and reign. He will be all that we need if we'll give our hearts and lives to him. We need to come just like the leper came. Did the leper come and give Jesus Christ a list of all the good things he'd done before getting sick and why he deserved to be healed? Not one. The leper came in humility, knowing who he was, knowing what he was suffering from, and laid down at the feet of Jesus and said, without you, there's no hope. And he put his faith and trust in Jesus Christ. There's too many of us that are putting faith and trust in Christ plus something else. It's not your good works. It's not that you're a wonderful person. It's not that you've been a good family man or a good family mom. It's what Jesus Christ did for you. And that's what Christmas is all about. God so loved the world that he gave. But he didn't just give us a wonderful baby in a manger scene so we could get all fuzzy and romantic about it at Christmas time. He gave so that in that same passage, Jesus Christ said, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so much the Son of Man, so must he be lifted up. I came to die for you. His message was, I came to seek and to save the lost and to give my life a ransom for many. Have you experienced that in your life? And if you have, will Christmas be the time when you share it with some other leper who needs Jesus Christ? Let's pray. Father, we didn't spend a lot of time in this passage, but Lord, help us to take away the truths of what's here. Jesus Christ cleanses sin. Jesus Christ changes lives. Jesus Christ came freely offering the gift of salvation. And unlike the leper, Jesus Christ looked at us and said, now go spread the news. Lord, I pray that you'll help us to do exactly what that leper did. He went out and he told everybody he could find what Jesus Christ had done for him. God, help us to be willing to share the gospel message this Christmas season because the same Jesus Christ who changed this man's life continues to change lives today. Lord, use us as vessels of that message that we may see the kingdom of God spread in the hearts of men as the gospel message goes forth this Christmas. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.